0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message.
1: Take your Bible to Revelation chapter number one with me, please. God's been good to us, hadn't he? Would you vote for that? I think he's been better than good to all of us. And it's been good up on the platform tonight. And uh, sometimes it'd be good if, I don't know if it'd be good or not, but I wish we could mic up everybody on the platform and you just hear the conversations going back and forth. Tonight, though, especially, it was actually, it was good tonight and uh, the things we were saying back and forth to each other. Brother Everton just said something to me, I wouldn't repeat it, but just a, a, a very nice thing, encouraging thing. Brother Flood leaned over and said something to me very encouraging. And uh, I thought about that. You know, it's, it's amazing how God will mesh us all together. We're all very different. All the disciples of the Lord were very different, weren't they? But they all fit together and made the thing go. And I thought about that. We all have our different quirks. We have our different personalities. But I'm glad we can pull for one another. And what a blessing that was to me tonight. God's been good. I'm glad we can serve together. Revelation chapter number one, I want to share with you a thought that I've been studying throughout this week. I've been living on the island of Patmos with John, I think, this week, in my mind at least. And I've come to the church a few times uh, in, in the night and a couple of times in the morning and walked, and this is sort of like an island, but not like Patmos. This is sort of like an island in a good way. This is sort of like a place where we're separated apart, we're kind of surrounded, we're kind of uh, stuck in a place in a good way. Patmos is not a good place to be. That's where John finds himself. I want you to look with me in verse number 9. If you're able to stand, stand with me as we read one verse of Scripture, I've enjoyed, and I've not spent much time at all with Brother Smith, but I've enjoyed having Brother Mr., Brother and Mrs. Smith with us this semester as well. And I mean that, and I told Pastor that the other day. I've just enjoyed hearing him talk and just being around him. That trip on Tuesday a couple weeks ago that we took, and just to talk and hear you talk, I appreciate it. I like being around seasoned men, and seasoned men that aren't sour but have a good spirit too, and I like that, and that's what he is. And I'm praying for you all as you go back to the... Um, Florida? I guess that's a good place, isn't it? Everybody's been so mean to you, trying to get you to stay. You said Mrs. Treboros relentless, and I leaned over to Luke and said, I remember those days. (laughs) She's got the testimony. But anyway, it works, I guess. Revelation chapter number one, verse number nine. The problem is she was relentless, and then my wife found out and joined in and got relentless. But anyway, it just works. It works. Verse number nine. Yeah, now we're neighbors. Pray for us. I'm surprised. He said he's going to say something about my. Cri- I don't have my. I don't. Have, our house does not look like the North Pole yet. And that's because it's not December. Um, my birthday is in December early. And so we have a tr- tradition in our family. We always just decorate around my birthday. And plus, we want to give proper reverence to the fact that God has been good, and we want to say thanksgiving and giving, and then thanks comes with it, and we want to do all of that. And, um, and also, last year we went home for Thanksgiving, came back, and Mrs. Treber and the boys decorated for us, so I'm wondering if that'll happen, so we'll wait and see. Revelation chapter number one, just putting a plug out. Verse number nine, the Bible says, I, John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John is in an undesirable place, but for a good reason. He's afflicted, he's been persecuted, but he's there not on accident. He is there by providence. I would say at first, maybe John did not enjoy his stay on Patmos. Maybe it was hard. I know his life was hard. I know what he was doing there wasn't pleasant. He'd been boiled before he'd been exiled. But I think as you read the book of Revelation, there's a whole lot of words like amen and hallelujah, and there's a lot of good things that John gets to see. I think that John, before long, if he had been complaining about Patmos, would not, he would probably praise God for it think it'd be on the top maybe just after salvation on his Thanksgiving list you'd say I want to thank God for Patmos for a little while tonight I want to preach on that thought thank God for Patmos and I want to give you five things I believe John got on this island that he wouldn't have gotten had he not been there all of us will have a place like that or a season like that or a situation like that maybe you would not have chosen it might not be pleasant but I believe God will give you some things there that you wouldn't get anywhere else Let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray for your power to preach. I pray for liberty to preach. I pray to speak to the hearts of our church family tonight and help us, Lord, to uh, learn some truth from your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible and possibly it's the most important book of the Bible. Revelation is a letter given to John from glory that was signed and sealed by God the Father inspired by god the holy ghost written about god the son and delivered to john by the angel of the lord it's a powerful book it's a promise book and it's a prophetic book and let me say this bible prophecies are not predictions that's for the weatherman bible prophecies are simply facts foretold and they will always come to pass the book of Revelation is the last book of your bible We can say it like this, Genesis is the A of the Bible and Revelation is the Z of the Bible. Genesis is the introduction and Revelation is the conclusion. Genesis is the in the beginning, and Revelation is that final amen. Genesis tells us where we came from. Revelation shows us where we're going. And can I say there's no book like it if you'll study it. People say, well, that's a hard book to understand. No, the problem is for some it's a hard book to, uh, to believe. It's not a hard book to understand. It's a very plain book. And let me just put in a plug you don't need to go listen to somebody who sits on oprah winfrey's couch who had too much cabbage and cottage cheese before they went to bed at night had some vision of a 300-foot jesus got taken up to heaven and then comes back and writes a book and makes millions of dollars god has given us a commentary on what eternity is like right here in the book of revelation in the book of revelation we read about the rapture of the church We read about the rise of the Antichrist. We read about the wrath that is to come. And then we read about the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. This entire book is about the inheritance coming to the Lord. In this book, we read that God gave the Son a cross. God gave the Son a church. God gave the Son a conquering day. And they'll give him one day a crown and thank God for that. Revelation is about what John has seen, what John is seeing, and what John is going to see. But it's amazing as you study the book, it's all about the Lord. He looks in the past and it's about Jesus. He looks in the present, it's about Jesus. And he looks in the future and would you know it, it's still about the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter one, we're introduced to three things. We find the purpose of the book. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, verse number one. We find the penman of the book. It's written by a man named John in verse number one. it says that at the end of the verse. And then we find the place from which this book was penned. You know already, but John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's the disciple that Jesus trusted to take care of his mother. As Jesus hung dying upon the cross for my sin and yours, he entrusted John to care for his mother Mary. Jesus loved John and John loved Jesus. In the upper room, John laid his head on the very breast of the Lord and got to hear the heartbeat of God. But while he was the beloved disciple of the Lord, he finds him now in one of the most undesirable locations in the world. Let me say there's a vast difference from laying your head upon the breast of the Lord and making your home among the jagged rocks on the island of Patmos. Patmos was an island just off the coast of Asia Minor. It's very unhospitable and almost uninhabitable in the days of John. It's Rome's maximum security prison. It's where they would put people that were politically adverse or against the uh, the nation or the empire of Rome. It's a place where men were sent to live a life of hard labor and hard living. More than a prison camp, we could say Patmos, in a sense, was a death camp. It's a place of punishment, a place of banishment, and a place of exile. There are not many amenities there. The ambience would not mean much uh, to be desired. John is surrounded by buzzards and black boulders and bad men, and every single day, he is tormented. He's in sorrow. He is isolated. He's stuck, and he's surrounded. As he looks, he would watch as that jagged coastline of Patmos would have the white waves crashing upon the black rocks of the island, and he's there stuck for the Word of God and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a natural reason why John is on the island. John is on that island because he'd had enough faith to live a public life for God. And can I say, if I'm going to be persecuted for anything, I think that'd be the right thing to be persecuted for, living a life of outdatedness. I mean outward I mean just bold faith in God in a lost and dying world now I don't want persecution and I wouldn't vote for persecution and I wouldn't enjoy persecution but if it's going to come let it come not because you got a bad attitude not because you've got a bad disposition not because you were crazy on the internet but let it come because we're living a life that lets the light of Jesus Christ shine in a lost and dying world that's the natural reason why he's why he is there but there's also a supernatural reason why he is there. He is there because of the testimony of Jesus Christ, but he's also there to receive a testimony from Jesus Christ. I thought about this. John is a good man in a bad place. He's in a place he would not have chosen. He's in a place he would not desire to be. He's in a place he wouldn't have picked out for his ministry. John's an older man. He's in those sunset years of his life. At this point in his ministry, he had to be mentoring young preachers, maybe preaching in Bible conferences, maybe pinning other books and encouraging the churches. He had to be kind of sitting back and enjoying those final years of his life, but that was not God's will, and that wasn't the case for John. He finds himself on the island of Patmos, but I like what John discovers. He's not there because of Rome. He's not there because of the emperor. He is there because the divine providence of God had planted John on the Isle of Patmos. He couldn't change it, but I think he wouldn't want to change it if he could. It's the, I think it's the pinnacle. It's the height. It's the maximum of John's personal relationship with the Lord, what happens in his life on the Isle of Patmos. I was studying this. I thought John wouldn't have picked a Patmos place. He would not have picked himself to be a Patmos person. He wouldn't have picked to live through a Patmos period. It was painful. It was hard. It was uh, discomforting. It was difficult. But I think he would say, by the end of the book, praise God for Patmos. The Bible said in Psalm 37, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now, John might not have picked this place, but you can go ahead and rest assured, God definitely picked this place in the life of John. And in spite of everything he endured, I think there's some things that John got on the island of Patmos that he praised God for. Now, I wish it wasn't so, and I don't want to major on being this kind of a preacher. There are some preachers, all they preach are these kind of, God is on the throne, and the valley will have an end kind of messages, and those are good in their place, but we also need some get-right-with God kind of messages. But tonight this is one of those in the valley God is good kind of a message. I don't want to I don't want to discourage you, but I do want to be honest. There's going to be seasons and periods in your life that you're not really going to have all that much comfort. It's not something you would choose. There'll be questions arising about the situation. If you could change it, you would. But can I say it's often in the most severe seasons of life the sweetest fellowship with the Lord is born. I think about Fanny Crosby, born blind. And a man came and said, if there's one thing that I could pray for you or wish for you, it was that you had sight. And she said, if there was one thing I could ask of the Lord, it would be that I was born blind because the first face I would have seen is the face of my Lord. She said, I'm not angry about my patness. I thank God for the place God has put me in life. And from that island of blindness, she penned all those ten thousands of hymns that we still sing today. And I'll say the same thing it could be true in my life and in yours. When you're on the island of Patmos, let me give you five things quickly. Number one, what did John get on Patmos? Number one, he got a quieting. Look at verse number nine, a quieting. Look what the Bible says, I, John. That's kind of a lonely thing to say, isn't it? That's a little bit isolating, maybe a little bit depressing. John isn't saying we. Now, he does mention he's a companion, but he's talking about Christians who aren't there on the island of Patmos. John is in this undesirable place. He's in this place he wouldn't have chosen for himself. He's in this place of torment and affliction and persecution, and he's there all by himself. And I read that at first, and I underlined it, and I thought what a hard thing it would be to endure an island like Patmos, a situation like that, and be alone. But then I discovered God might have put him on Patmos for a purpose, and I think he might have put him there to still him a little bit, to quiet him down a little bit, to isolate him and remove him from the busyness, the whirlwind of his life, so that he could deliver things to him. You know, that happens in our life from time to time, doesn't it? Where God will kind of set the schedule aside because of circumstances. God will kind of change the routine of life. Something will come in or something will go out of life and it sort of changes the day to day. And sometimes, sometimes I know I get upset with that. I'm a little bit impatient. I'm always in a hurry. And sometimes when God wants to steal me and God wants to put me in a spot, I kind of, I kind of reject that for a minute. But here's what I'm trying to learn. That if if the preacher preached, if you would just wait and be still and let God show himself as God, he can speak to you in those quieting seasons of life. Maybe you're here now and it's not as busy as you'd like it to be, or at least not going the right kind of direction like you wish it would. And you've been quieted. Let me say, don't curse the quieting and don't be upset with God because he's kind of still just schedule. John couldn't go soul winning. He couldn't preach. He could just pen a few letters here with the writing uh, instruments that he had. He's been removed from his routine, routine, but when he was quieted, God shows up in his life. Number two, not only is there a quieting, but I like this, there's a change in his life. Look with me down further in verse number 10. I like this verse. I was, and that's what it says, in the spirit on the Lord's day. Adversity is all around John but there's no adversity within John. Now, I don't know what John was like before the Lord's Day, but I know what he was like on the Lord's Day. The Bible doesn't tell us about John's spiritual disposition uh, during the days prior to the Lord's Day, but we know his physical condition is this. He is on the island of Patmos. His life is there. He's surrounded there on the island, but I like this, and I've preached this before, and you've probably heard it preached before. His outward circumstances did not determine his inward spirit. His heart was experiencing revival while everything on the outside seemed to be falling. We have the Holy Spirit of God and that Holy Spirit on the inside produces that spiritual fruit. And I'm glad spiritual fruit can grow in the soil of an island like Patmos if you'll just choose to clear off a spot and worship God anyhow. The problem is a lot of Christians get on Patmos and pout. They get on Patmos and complain. They get on Patmos and get bitter at God for putting them there. John said, not me, I'm gonna be in the Spirit. I don't care what the perception is or the circumstances are. On the outside, there's heartache and and there's hardship and hell is fighting by the acre. But on the inside, there's a foretaste of heaven divine. Suffering couldn't touch him on the inside. That torment couldn't torment him on the inside. Jesus says like this, let not, let not, let not your heart be troubled. Number one, there was a quieting. Number two, there was a change. I like this. Number three, there was a communication on Patmos. Patmos. Look at verse number 10 again. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I like this word heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. John hears a voice that he had not heard since the day of the ascension. John is on an island called Patmos, and I'm sure there was not a familiar voice on the island. In fact, John, if the historians are right, is working there in the mines of the island of Patmos and maybe all he heard was the chiming of of chisel and hammer and the wheels of the carts as they'd roll by. Maybe he heard the lashing of the whip of the soldiers that would watch the prisoners. But on this day, the Bible said, while he is in the spirit, while he is isolated and alone, he's cut off from his usual routine, he gets to hear a voice that he hadn't heard in a long time. I don't know about you, but I like to hear a familiar voice, don't you? Isn't it comforting to hear a voice and you recognize that's a voice from home or that's a friend I haven't heard from in a while. I like it when I come home and I hear voices I'm familiar with. I hear Lincoln's little voice coming from the back of the house and then his little feet running and then I hear Desiree saying hey baby or something like that. I don't know if that's ever happened. But I like those familiar voices but maybe it happened tonight. Uh, but anyway, I, I, uh, I like that. Well there's John on the island of Patmos. Can you imagine how good God is in his life? He turns and he hears a voice and he. Thinks, I think I've heard that voice before and he had. He'd heard that voice in ships. He'd heard that voice on the seaside. He'd heard that voice on hills. He'd heard that voice in prayer. He'd heard that voice preach him. He'd heard that voice as he performed miracles. He'd heard that voice before. And it was a familiar voice. It was the same voice that spoke to Moses out of a bush. And it was the same voice that created everything in the beginning. He hears a voice that you couldn't mistake. He understood this. In the midst of his affliction on the Isle of Patmos, God was still real, and God was still close, and God was real close. I like that. He didn't have to cup his ear. God was close enough to speak and John was close enough to hear his voice. Here's what I know. I'm glad God will speak to us in the height of revival and God will speak to me on the mountaintop. But sometimes God will whisper the sweetest truths deep down in the darkest valley, in the, in the height of the most severe storm, in the middle of the strongest test. And if you'll be still and listen, the voice of God will be there. Communication. He hears the voice on Patmos. He turned to see. Now, look at this, a clarity. There's a quieting, a change, a communication, then a clarity. I'm going to read a few verses now. Verse 11. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega. The first. Now, this is really the whole message will be this point. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, and unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos. And under Thyatira, and under Sardis and under Philadelphia, and under Laodicea. We're going to read down a while. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one, and I circled that word one, like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not. that's, That's impossible, is it not? I mean, we have a hard time with that, but I like it when it comes from the lips of the Lord. He said, you don't have to fear, John. He said, I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. He said, and I have the keys of hell and of death. It's amazing, John, the situation. He's getting some things on Patmos. He wouldn't have got anywhere else. He gets quieted just a little bit. He gets changed in the spirit. He gets a word he wouldn't have gotten, and now he gets a clarity. He gets to see something in a way he'd never seen it before. The last the last time John had saw Jesus, it was in his humiliation, but now he gets to see Jesus in all of his glory. You read through this text and it shows Jesus as a servant. It shows Jesus as strong. It shows Jesus as sovereign. It shows Jesus in his garden. It shows Jesus in his glory. And it shows Jesus as our God. John turns around and he sees that voice. It wasn't an imposter. It was the one. At first he sees the candlesticks. Those represent the churches. But it's as though God says, don't get wrapped up in the churches. You get wrapped up in Christ. And immediately he moves him from the candlestick to the one standing in the midst of the candlesticks. And he sees he's almighty. He sees he's God. He sees he's always there. He sees he's alive the last time he looked at Jesus he was being crucified he was being beaten he was being martyred he saw him for a moment before the ascension but now he sees him as the king of kings and the lord of lords he sees him in a way he'd never seen him before prophet, priest and now he sees him as king I wrote this down I thought the last time John had looked long on Jesus he saw him between two thieves now he sees him in the midst of his churches The last time he'd looked long on Jesus, he saw him naked and mocked. Now he sees him wearing a royal robe. The last time he'd seen Jesus, he was adorned with a thorny crown. Now he's wearing a golden girdle. The last time he'd seen Jesus, he had bloody matted hair. Now the Bible says John saw his hair was white like wool. The last time he'd seen Jesus, his eyes were blackened by the blows of soldiers. Now he sees his eyes as a flame of fire. The last time he'd seen Jesus, he'd seen Jesus. He'd seen Jesus with his feet nailed to a cross. Now the Bible said his feet were like fine brass. The last time he'd heard Jesus, we heard him with a weakened voice crying, I have thirst. And now as John's surrounded by the sea, that voice rolls over the waves of the ocean and sounds like many waters. He'd seen Jesus the last time when he long looked at Calvary. His right hand was pierced by a nail, but now in his right hand he holds those seven stars representing the pastors of these churches. Before, his mouth was parched. His lips were dry. And now, you listen, he has a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth before his vidges was marred more than that of any man and now his vidges is like the sun that shineth in his strength and it reminds me of Malachi that the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings he'd seen his humanity but now he sees his deity he'd seen him as the Galilean but now he sees him as God but wait a minute he didn't get that vision in a pleasant place he didn't get that view in a place he'd have chosen for himself but on that island of He saw Jesus in a way he'd never seen Jesus before. I wish it wasn't so. I don't know about you. I wish it wasn't like this. But can I say, usually the clearest pictures of who Christ is come in unfavorable circumstances. It's easy to be on these WWJD bracelet kind of Christians and say, God's good whenever you don't need him to be. My God will supply all my needs when He don't have a need. But you wait till everything's stripped away. And you can't get help anywhere else but from Him. But that's when He steps in. Amen. I never saw Him like that before. I use personal illustrations. I've got a thousand stories going through my mind. It's not until it's, not until it's easy to tell somebody who's grieving, God will, God will give you grace. Until it's your loved one that you're burying. And it doesn't really help a whole lot. I mean, it's okay when somebody says, God will give you grace. But when God steps in and gives you the grace. You didn't get that somewhere else. You got that on your Patmos. It's easy for somebody to say, well, just pray. God hears and answers prayer when you don't need to pray. When You don't really have a pressing prayer request. But when you have something that's life or death, salvation, eternity, hell, or heaven. And you pray and God shows up. You see him in a way you've never seen him before. That didn't happen in a pleasant place. That happens on an island like the island of... Patmos. He'd seen Jesus as prophet. In a way he sees Jesus as priest. But now he sees Jesus as king. He got that on Patmos. Lastly there's a consolation on Patmos. It's two parts to it. Verse 17 and verse number 18. In verse number 17 he promises John or gives John his presence. And in verse 18 he makes John a promise. In verse number 17 he says when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me. Isn't that a blessing that he reached down and touched him? I mean, he hadn't probably felt human contact in who knows how long. Especially not the tender touch like this. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not. And I like what he says, I'm the first and the last. You know, you don't have communication without having company. He's having a conversation, but he's not crazy. He's not just on that island talking to himself. He's talking to somebody. The Lord is there. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go. The psalm says, anywhere. Patmos would be pretty lonely, except for the fact the Lord is there. I remember, and I've not tell, I won't tell the story because I've told it before. I remember when my grandmother passed away and we were in that room. But I also remember the undeniable fact that the presence of God moved in that place. And that balm of Gilead, that, that peace that passes all understanding was so evident, so prevalent in that room as she passed away. It didn't take a lot of the pain away, but it made it bearable. His presence is there. But then I like this, His promise. Look what He says. He said in the end of 17, I am the first and the last. But watch what He says. I am He that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. You understand all the judgment, all the death, all the mess John's going to have to see as he records the book of Revelation? But I think the way he got through it is Jesus gave him this promise here in the very first chapter. Don't worry, John. I'm already on the winning side. I've already conquered it all. I've got the keys of hell and of death. I thought about that. Hell, that concerns the spirit. Death, that concerns the body. He's just saying this. I'm in control of everything. And he said, I was in control. I am in control. And I will be in control. And I like it. It's almost like you say in John, there's still more story to write. In essence, he's saying the story doesn't end on Patmos. The story doesn't end in this circumstance. There is still more story to be written John it won't always be like it is I was there before the pain I'm there in the pain I'll be there after the pain I was there before the tragedy I'm there in the tragedy I'll be there after the tragedy and you can depend upon this that the Lord the shepherd that leads you to it will lead you through it and get you to the other side I've been living on the island of Patmos with John this whole week I told the preacher I said I think I've been I think I've had too long to think about this I've just been dwelling on it But I do know this in life, that we get put in those places, and sometimes we get upset about it. But can I say, John, it wasn't wasn't the Roman Emperor that put you there. That was God that put you there. And sometimes Providence will place you in a place like Patmos on purpose for a purpose. Because there are some things you can get there that you wouldn't get anywhere else. You ever been someplace you don't want to be? You ever been like that? I remember my second year traveling preaching, I was in Detroit, Michigan. And I'm not saying they didn't want to be in Detroit, though there's no good reason to be there, unless you want to buy a house for one dollar. <laughs> I remember preaching in a tent meeting and riding down the road, and a house was burning down. The preacher said, that's just a Detroit nightlight, don't worry about it. I was preaching at Midwestern Baptist College. It was one year after Dr. Malone had passed away. And I was staying in that dormitory and there weren't very many students there. And it was like, you know, every it's just like every church at night is haunted, so is every Bible college. I don't care what you say. I'm against prophets, chambers, mission, mission houses inside of a church. You tell every ghost in the world, and I don't believe they live in the church at night. It's the scariest thing in the world. I've seen cockroaches bigger than chihuahuas in churches at night. I want to write a book on that sometime. Now that I don't depend on other people's love offering, I want to write a book on how bad it is. But they put me in the Br Lakin room. That sounded pretty good, it just wasn't. And I think the last person to stay in there was Br Lakin. I don't think he—I don't think he'd passed away in it, but he could have. <laughs> there were weird-looking mirrors all over the. I mean, it's just a weird, psychedelic-looking thing. But anyway, it's John R. Rice dormitory, Br Lakin room, and they didn't have the spirit of either one of them on that room. I was in that room, and I—I I was in there preaching, and I was sleeping there. And the next day, I had to start a meeting in South Carolina. Now, that's just bad scheduling. At that time, we had a big Ford excursion. You ever seen a Ford excursion? It's about the size of the auditorium. It's just a big vehicle. We had to have it because we had a big family. It was me and my wife. And uh, she'd sit in the back row, and I'd sit in the front, and we'd barely fight if we did it like that. But I remember we were, I was there by myself. She was in South Carolina. I was going to drive all the way back on that Saturday morning, get her, and then go to the meeting. I got up late. My alarm didn't go off or something like that. That that place was freezing cold. I didn't want to get out of the covers anyways. That's just a godforsaken area up there. Now they're going to listen to this and get all mad at me. I still love them. They're my friends. But anyway, it was just a bad, you'd rather live somewhere like this, I think. But anyway, they're under 100 foot of snow already. (laughs) I went out in the morning and got on that Ford Excursion. This is back before they had GPS or cell phone or anything like that with with a GPS on it. It had uh, something called MapQuest. Do you all remember that? The creator of it might go to this church. I don't know. We're in the middle of Silicon Valley. But you'd get on the internet, type in your location and print, and then the maps, the pages would come off. And then before that, I had this thing. Listen to this, Brother Moats. It's called an Atlas. You all remember that? We'd buy, we'd buy one of those things every year. Remember that? Where's my wife? Right there. We'd buy them every you had to get a new one every year because they might change a road somewhere or another. And anyway, so I had a maps map quest. I got out early, got in that at Ford Excursion. Those things are huge. I I started driving, and I I didn't know where I was going. I took a wrong turn. Brother Bertram, you know Detroit, that area. I took a wrong turn and went on this thing called the Bridge to Canada. You know that? It it looks like an interstate. I've never been to a foreign country. I don't have a passport or anything. like. I I I had no idea what was happening. It looked like an interstate you got to pray for me. I think I was 22 years old. I didn't have any sense. I didn't have no, any idea what was going on. I, I pulled off that bridge to Canada, and all of a sudden I saw the, the Canadian border right there. I thought, good night. I can't go into Canada. You know, I don't even speak French, and I don't like the Raptors. I hate hockey. It's amen right there. I know we have hockey. How did we get hockey in San Jose? I never understood that one, but anyway. It's better than soccer. Anyway, I remember... Uh, can't take preaching anyway i remember getting on that bridge to canada and you got to the border and there are actually guards there at the border armed guards and it was early in the morning i was young i didn't know what to do so i thought i'm gonna just pop a (laughs) u-turn in a ford excursion (laughs) so they have this um cement bumper in between the back and forth the lanes and i just popped a u-turn but i couldn't because the thing won't do a U-turn, so it kind of went like this, and then you had to back up, and then back up, and then back up. And while I'm doing all of that, the guys came and tried to, I think, arrest me. Like the, the Canadian guys. Anyway, these Canadian guys came, and they, they, uh, they, they said, "Get out of, can you get out of your car, sir? They said, pull up here and then get out. And I thought, good, what in the world am I going to do? I thought, I'm going to have to call my mother. I mean, I don't know what to do. I have no idea. Now, we lived over there in those conservative states, so we always were able to carry guns. My wife has a concealed carry permit now, not for California. But anyway, we, we did it everywhere. I had a... Now, don't tell anybody this, and it's not... Nobody... Keep it between us on the Internet, too. But anyway, I remember <laughs> I, had a, I had a... Brother Shilton, I had a, I had a, I had a, a Springfield subcompact double-stack 9 millimeter in the uh, middle console loaded in the middle of the console of my vehicle, because if it's not loaded, how are you going to defend yourself? If your bullets are in the trunk, <laughs> locked up in a box, and your gun is in the glove box locked up, then you might as well just hit them with bubble gum or something what in the world. <laughs> but I had that gun down there. The, back then, I was preaching in prisons a lot, so I had a lot of those high-octane, I mean, rip your lips off chick tracks, you know? <laughs> they were all shoved down there, and they were on top of the gun. And I thought, good night. They put me in this little room, glass room. I was the only one in there, not, uh, how do I say this politically correct? Not wanting to blow up buildings or anything like that. Not a terrorist. Not uh, saying Allah Akbar. I mean, I was the only one in there. I was the only white guy in there, let me put it like that for sure. Only redneck white guy in there who was lost. Anyway, I'm sitting in that room. All these guys just staring at me like they were going to kill me. It's the longest, I don't know how, I think it was like an hour they kept me in there. And the whole time they're searching that excursion, I thought, man, they're going to find that pistol. The guy came back and said, sir, I'll let you go. He said, I, you're a preacher, aren't you? And I said, yeah, you know, yes, sir. He said, yeah, we looked in your middle console and you got all kinds of pamphlets in there. And said, that stuff looks crazy. He said, Just get, I thought, man, if he'd have gone one more pamphlet down, he'd have seen that gun and I'd be in prison. I'd be in prison tonight. <laughs> <laughs> i never forget that, man. I did not want to be there. I haven't gone back to Detroit since for many reasons, but that's the main one. There's still warrant out and things. I haven't been back to Canada since. don't even eat Canadian bacon. I don't even like that Trudeau guy very much, you know, any of that. But anyway, I don't want to be there. Sometimes in life, that's just a silly story with no purpose. Sometimes in life, you get put places, man, you just don't want to be. It's just uncomfortable. But here's what I know. We have an omnipresent God. Amen who is just as much in the unpleasant places as He is in the pleasant places. And even an unpleasant place can become a place where you can praise Him because there's something He'll give you there that you wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Now you're here tonight and you'll take that feeble thought. Maybe that's where you're at. Could you just come to an altar and trust that God knows what He's doing? And instead of fighting against it, just sit there in the school desk and let the teacher teach you what it is that he has for your life. Praise God for Patness.
0: Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve him this week.